Good morning, Green. Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning, and I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are so glad you're here. And uh, thinking of that video that we just saw, uh, doesn't life sometimes feel like a boxing match? (laughs) We didn't see the blows going on, but sometimes it feels like a match, a boxing match. But I want to say, with Jesus, we have someone in our corner, and that that is awesome. I'm excited to take another step with you in facing opposition. We're going to dig into that this morning. Uh, One of the things I enjoy throughout the week is a cup of coffee. Does anybody enjoy coffee? Maybe you might like another another cup of drink. That's that's fine. Uh, But I enjoy coffee, and I enjoy sitting down for a good conversation with a friend. And with a friend, I often go into the conversation knowing that, that we, we are going to agree on a lot. We're going to share some things in common. We're going to be able to just relate together and relax on the same page, knowing that we back each other up. Uh, who enjoys having some time with friends? Some people do. I, I hope we all do, and I hope you have some healthy friendships Uh, that you can just share time with. But what if you're going into a conversation and you know that's going to be a difficult, challenging conversation? What if it's a conversation that might bring some confrontation? So you're headed into a different sort of situation. Does the emotions change? Maybe the anxiety starts to go up, a little bit of worry. You're not sure what's going to happen next. Uh, Maybe a little fear about the unknown. And, and sometimes we get into these uncomfortable conversations. Uh, maybe we have a clash of ideas, a clash of perspectives or viewpoints. Our goals are in two different places. And when, when two people come together and they clash, we can end up in a standoff. It's happened to me. Maybe, it, maybe it's a situation at work where you know you need to confront someone about something going on and, and it has to be corrected. Maybe it's a friendship and you're bringing some accountability to that friendship. Maybe it's a relationship and and you've got two different conflicting viewpoints on where to go and you got to have that conversation. And I'm sure it's a big surprise to all the parents here that sometimes parents and children don't always see eye to eye and there's difficult conversations, Uh, challenging conversations. I think addressing a problem, no matter how important that problem is, can be difficult. So we sometimes we know we have to address an issue. It has to be done. It can't be put off. And even even very important things are still difficult for us to, to tackle because it might end up in a broken relationship. It might end up in hurt feelings. It might cost us something. And so conversations are sometimes difficult. Hopefully, though, when we're in a difficult conversation, the tension might rise, but I I hope it doesn't end here. (laughs) I hope that's not where we end up in our, our difficult conversations. But I think many of us would rather avoid the tension. And so sometimes we back off from even the most necessary conversations Faith can be even more 
more difficult. And so as we head into faith conversations, there's often a, a very big clash of perspectives, a clash of values, and it can cause conflict, it can cause difficult conversations. And I don't believe that's anything new. So Jesus, Jesus dealt with conflicts. He dealt with varying perspectives. He had to deal with questions of faith and conflicting viewpoints about life, about belief. And as Jesus dealt with these conflicting viewpoints, sometimes he had to deal with opposition. He could have avoided it. Sometimes we avoid opposition. Jesus could have avoided the opposition. But one day, one particular day, he invited the opposition. He embraced the opposition. He went into it headfirst, and he challenged the religious leaders, and he, he challenged their viewpoints, and he embraced it. I want to take a look at that today. So if you'd turn with me or tap with me to John chapter 9, uh, just go to NLT. I'll be in the, in the New Living Translation. I'd love you to join me there. In the Chair Bible, it's page 861. And if you don't have a Bible or you need a, uh, an easy-to-read Bible, we'd love you to take that as our gift uh, sorry to those online, we can't pass it through the screen, but, uh, but we'd love you to have that Bible as our gift. Um, looking into chapter 9, take a look at what happens right away. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And the disciples right away decide, let's help this man. No, no, look what they say. Rabbi, his disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? Rather than, rather than helping this man, the disciples right away decide, let's have a theological conversation. Let's discuss what this looks like theologically. And Jesus responds, it was not because of the sins of his parents, or his sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Wow. Wow. God wasn't caught off guard by this man's blindness? And Jesus says it's not a punishment? That's not what's going on here? God had a bigger plan. God had a bigger viewpoint on what this was going to be. And for God, the blindness wasn't a problem. It was actually a possibility. Something great was going to come out of this. Often I think we look at the world around us and we see, we see the brokenness, we see the darkness. But Jesus is here to bring restoration. Look how, look how Jesus responds. He says, We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. I'm doing God's work. The night is coming. In a way, it's going to be worse. And then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus shines into the darkness. He brings restoration. He brings truth. He, he's the dividing line. And we're going to see that as this, this chapter goes on. But Jesus, rather than get into the theological discussion and get stuck there for the next day and a half deciding, well, whose fault is this? What's the problem? Jesus doesn't get into that. He looks at the man. He cares about this man, this individual. 
And, and he steps into his life and he heals him. Take a look at the next few verses. Then he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. That sounds, sounds great. And he, he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and he told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So go to the most public place you can find. Wash off. And so the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. Wow. What a miracle. And I just want to think about that miracle a little bit. To us, it seems a little weird, doesn't it? Just the, uh, the idea of, of mud. And it's not just mud. It's spit mud. And so let's hack a big loogie in the ground, pick up the mud, yeah, and then smear that over his eyes, right? That's what happened. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. And... And it was to heal him. It's to heal him. Um, but this man, to us, I don't think that sounds real pleasant, does it? And all the comments, <laughs> it's not pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. But Jesus healed this man. And what I think is interesting here is all the unpleasantness we might feel, he simply trusts Jesus, follows his instruction, goes and washes and pulls along. This is a public place, very public place. It's the middle of feast time. Everyone's here. He washes publicly following Jesus' instructions, and he's healed. He's healed. Take a look at how the people react around him at this time. Uh, he goes to the pool. He washes. He can see again. Uh, verse, verse 8, his neighbors and the others who knew him as a blind beggar ask each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. Like, I'm the man. You got it. Uh, and they're, they're all kind of arguing. Some believe, some don't believe. They, how do you process someone who's blind their entire life, and now they can see, and some just can't, can't accept that. But what, what an amazing, what an amazing miracle. If someone has never seen before, the synaptic, nerve, or synaptic uh, impulses between their optic nerve and their eyes aren't there. They just aren't there. And Jesus made something that wasn't there to be there. He created the creator that creates. And he, he didn't just restore this man's sight. He made this man's sight. Amazing. And this man who, who has never seen Jesus at this point, one interaction, he heard him, he heard his instructions, he went and he did his instructions, never seen him, but he is testifying Jesus. And he, he's saying, I'm the, I'm the one that was blind. And they ask him what happened. And he goes through the account. Here's what Jesus did. And here's what happened. And I'm, I can see again. I can see again. His, his neighbors, his friends, they're pretty happy for him. How do, you think the, uh, how do you think the Pharisees reacted? How do you think the religious leaders reacted? The neighbors take him there next. Take a look at the, the next few verses. Verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because, because it was on the Sabbath. It was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. 
The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so that he told them, well, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. And so this all happens. Guess what the problem is? The Sabbath. The big issue is the Sabbath. Now, the religious leaders could have been excited. Wow, look what God did. This man can see. But instead of excitement, they're worried about the Sabbath. No work, of course, was to be done on the Sabbath. And, and how does that relate to this? We think healing, how is, how is that work? Actually, as I researched and dug into this passage and dug into some of the religious rules during that day, I found out that mud and spit were a pretty big deal on the Sabbath. Isn't that crazy? They were big deals on the Sabbath, and here's why. The, the religious leaders connected mud with mortar. And you couldn't be a mason on the Sabbath because that would be work. You couldn't make mud on the Sabbath because that looked a little too much like mortar. So mud was a big deal. No making mud. Could not make mud. There's more, though. They, they weren't just forbidden to make mud. They were forbidden to wash mud off. So if you got mud on your clothing, and, and one of the examples I read from the writings was uh, if a woman got mud on her dress, she was not allowed to wash off. You had to walk around all day muddy. So no washing mud on the Sabbath, no making mud on the Sabbath. Beyond that, the, the, uh, the rabbis had some rules about spitting on the Sabbath because if you spit in the dirt, here's what they said, the spit might roll downhill and create mud. And then you'd be making mud on the Sabbath. And you can't make mud on the Sabbath. As I learned a little more, I found out that many rabbis believed in the medicinal value of spit. And you could very well use spit to heal someone. They talked about healing with spit and, and how it could help someone heal. But don't do it on the Sabbath. They forbade helping someone heal <laughs> with spit. On the Sabbath. Uh, what has Jesus just done? Apparently it was okay to help someone, but not on the Sabbath. And and remember, these are all these are all religious rules. They aren't biblical rules. They aren't what the Bible teaches. And in the minutiae of trying to be the best Jew, they missed the core of what it meant to be a Jesus follower. Have you ever had one of those hard conversations, one that you knew you could not put off any longer, that had gotten so bad that it had to be dealt with? I really think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going right at the rules, right at the religious community. Point by point, they had rules against exactly what Jesus did. They weren't biblical rules. They weren't from God, but they were their rules. And he publicly invites the opposition. He embraces it. Let's, let's have it out, <laughs> in a way. Let's look at the truth. The religious leaders were not happy about any of this. And in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. And I think what they're saying, I think what they're saying is, um, 
he can't be godly unless he follows our rules. And he didn't follow our rules, so he can't be God. He cannot be from God. There was another reaction, though. Other people, others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? How could an ordinary person do this? You can't just make someone see. That, that just doesn't happen. So there was a deep division, deep division. The Pharisees will go on to question this man further. They'll want to dig in. And what you find out as you read through, they keep saying, how was this done? How was this done? How was this done? Very much they wanted to get back to the mud. How did he make the mud? Did he spit? Did, did he, did he, how did he create it? Did he mix it up? Why? They, don't, they don't really ask about the what. How can they argue with he can see? But they wanted to know how he broke the rule. And so they question him. They go on to question his parents. And his parents don't back him up. They say, well, yeah, he was blind. And he can see, but that's all we know. Go back to him. <laughs> they kind of uh, throw him under the bus. Check out the second round of questioning. Verse 24. For a second time, they called in the man who had been blind. And they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. In other words, deny Jesus and glorify God. How does Jesus do a miracle and then glory comes to God if he's the sinner? Uh, that doesn't logically mesh in my head. <laughs> but they're calling on this man to deny, to deny Jesus. The man responds, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Hey, I'm not the expert, he says. But I know this. I was blind, and now I see. Like, I don't know all the theological ins and outs of this, but Jesus is the real deal. I was blind, now I see. <clears throat> he just tells him the truth. He says, here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did for me. Verse 26, they go right back to, but what did he do? What did he do? How did he help you? How did he heal you? Right back to the mud. Their focus is on the mud. The man goes on, and I think he's getting, he's getting a little frustrated by this point. I, I would be frustrated by this point. He says, look, look, I told you once, you didn't listen. I told you once and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? How do you think they reacted to that one? Uh, I, I think he's a little frustrated and so he sarcastically retorts, a little, retorts back and throws it back at them. Of course, they don't want to be his disciples. He's just sick of the questioning. Here's what happened, he said. I was blind, but now I see. And they go on to, they're just angry, they're yelling at him, and they curse him, verse 28, and they said, you are his disciples, 
but we are the disciples of Moses. Okay, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus. We're a disciple of Moses. Moses is before Jesus. Well, there's a bigger theological discussion they could get into. But he says, we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't know even where this man comes from. And I love their insult. They insult him. And what do they insult him with? You're his follower. Here's the big insult. And I think it, it resonates in our world today. You're a Jesus follower. That's the insult. He goes on, he goes on. He says, why? That's, that's very strange. The man that healed my eyes, and you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear from those who worship him and do his will. What faith? His faith has been building all day long from the first encounter through his interactions with his neighbors, now his interactions with the, the religious leaders. The opposition hasn't pressed him down. The opposition has bolstered him up. And he is ready to stand at this point. And he stands for Jesus. And he says, well, you guys don't know where he's from. Well, that's pretty interesting. Look at what he's doing. He has to be from God. He has to be from God. And... They're, they're yelling at him at this point. They're, they're upset at him. And they say, ever since the world began, no one... I mean, he says this. I jumped too far forward. But I love, I love what he says. He says, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. It, it isn't possible. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. He couldn't. As simple as that, only this happens out of the power of God. How right is he? He's right on. His faith is dead on. And in the middle of conflict, his, his faith is dead on. And so then in their anger, they say, you were born a total sinner. And I might say, yeah, I was. Look at Jesus. They say, you were born a total, total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they throw him out of the temple. They throw him out. He'll be ostracized by the community. He'll be pushed out by his own society. Uh, they're, they're focused on Jesus broke the rules. They insult him. And they throw, they throw everything at him they can. Kind of like I, I picture him in the center of a forum. And everybody's yelling at him. And everybody's screaming at him. And they're all insulting him. Maybe like parliament where they all yell at each other all the way through these, uh, these governmental decisions. He's in the center of all of that, and he says, he says he cannot be from anyone else but God. I'm going to stand on my faith. And I, I think in this, in this instance, I think in this instance, things are starting to make sense for this man. And, and a blind man, he's lost one of his senses, but he gains the heightened awareness of all the other senses. And so he's been sitting at the temple for years and years and years, hearing the teaching, hearing the expectations, the Messiah is coming. He, he's going to come for us. He's going to save us. And I think maybe, maybe right now this passage is running through his, his mind. You see, they would have talked about that coming Messiah. And Isaiah wrote this. He said, 
Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you, and when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. And this man is, has heard these passages. He's heard things like this, and he probably rehearses them over in his head, and I can't wait for the Messiah to come. Maybe, maybe. What about me? And now it's happening. And this man is here. And he stands up, and he says, he cannot be from anyone but God, because this is what God does. And for that, he's thrown out. To stand up for Jesus is to invite opposition. It's to gain opposition. And at this point, Jesus, Jesus re-enters the scene and take a look how they interact here. Verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? All, in all of this opposition, Jesus, Jesus touches this one individual. And I think not, not only Isaiah, but he would have heard Daniel. He would have heard this, this idea of a coming Son of Man, and it's connected with the Messiah. And he, he says, I'm ready to believe. Verse 36, the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe. I'm ready. Jesus says, you have seen him. And he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord. The man says, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. He, talked, he says, Lord, you're my authority. And I'm going to bow to you. I'm going to worship you. You are the focus. You are the focus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment. And I think back to John chapter 3 where it says, Jesus did not come to judge. But in this verse, Jesus takes it a next step further. He says, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus is walking right back into the opposition. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he did. His very presence is a statement of judgment because he is that light that shines in the world and he highlights the truth and he highlights what is false. And the Pharisees know exactly what he's saying and the Pharisees say, are you saying we're blind? Jesus doesn't back off. If you were blind, Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim to see. See, the, the religious leaders react by putting up their guard. Jesus' presence reveals the truth, and the dividing line is where our faith is. And this man has clearly stated what he believes, even in the middle of the opposition. He embraced his blindness. 
And Jesus gave him sight. Not just physical, but spiritual sight. And God has been in work in this man's life all the way from, from conception, through birth, through his whole entire life. And God was never caught off guard. And God had a plan. He was going to personally enter this man's story and transform everything. That day, that day of transformation was actually a day of conflict. And I admit, I don't always look at conflict and see God's work. But what if God is at work even in the middle of the conflict? What if he already had a plan in place and he put us there on purpose for that time in that place with that person for his purpose? Often I look at conflict and I see a problem. But what if God sees a possibility? Have you ever tried to fix the problem? Of opposition, maybe maybe try to convince your way through it, or or uh, argue your way through a problem. Um, maybe, maybe try to come up with a solution that everyone would be happy with. How did that usually work? <laughs> Have you ever tried to avoid the stress altogether? I've done all of those, but what if God is doing something bigger? What if God? is going to work through what we see as a problem because God actually has a plan. What if opposition really is an open door? What if it's an opportunity for us to share what God has done in our life? What if God put us there in his plan? This man, this blind man, what did he do in the opposition? He simply explained what Jesus had done in his life. He said, I was once blind, but now I see. He gave his story. And years later, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, would write this. He'd say, even if you are suffering for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry about being afraid of their threats. Don't be afraid of the opposition. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter says, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the opposition, maybe, just maybe, it'll be an opportunity to explain what Jesus has done, to give Jesus' message of hope. What if there's a bigger plan? Often in the middle of the opposition, we might try to back away. Maybe we try to fight it. Maybe we try to have the perfect argument. Maybe we try to, maybe we try to convince and I know that I don't always have the perfect argument. Do you guys always have the perfect argument? But Jesus didn't call us to have the perfect argument. He didn't call us to have all the answers. 
There is something we can actually do that's very difficult to argue with. And that's to share our story, to give our hope, to tell people about what Jesus has done in us. And in our culture, our culture is a post-Christian culture. Our culture is a post uh, it does not always agree in truth. There's this, this sense that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and maybe someone else has their truth. And in that type of situation, it's very hard to argue truth. But what you'll find is people may not agree with your position on truth, but they may agree to listen to your story. To listen to what God has done in your life. To allow you to show what's different about you. Why you have hope. And so my challenge is share your faith story. That's what this man did. He shared what Jesus had done for him. So let me share with you what God has done in my life. And he shared his story. We aren't called to win the argument. We're called to share Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes the difference. He's the one that wins in the end. And we get to be his ambassador. This man's very simple. He's very clear. He just says the truth. Once I was blind, now I see. We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. There's hundreds of different stories in this room. There's hundreds of stories that need to be heard because they'll impact how many thousands of people outside of this room. And Jesus has us here with the story that he's given us exactly for that purpose. And I think often we want to share Jesus, but we feel unqualified doing it. We, we want to tell people about our faith, but, but we're, we struggle with the how. Who is more unqualified than this previously blind man? All he knew was this one encounter, and yet he had enough to share. And so today, if, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you knew how to be saved... You can help someone else be saved. You can share with them what God has done in your life, where you were before you trusted in Jesus, what you trusted in, who Jesus is, how you met him, and then what he's done after you've met him. You can share that. Each one of us can be ready to share our story. I just want to take a second here and show you that you can do that. And so let me briefly give you my story. I was, I was raised in a family that had standards and rules. How many people had rules in their family? Uh, we had some in my family, and there was often the case where I didn't feel like I could quite ever attain them. And, and it wasn't legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. It was just, I was a kid, and I messed up. <laughs> and I would fail, and I often felt like, man... I'm trying, but I just can't do it. And I had this one particular problem that just was pervasive. I was a little liar. 
I lied a lot. I would twist situations to my own benefit. I would try and change the truth a little bit so it benefited me. And I did it constantly. And as much as I tried not to, I couldn't stop. And I knew who Jesus was. I'd been taught that. And I'd been taught to to understand what Jesus had done for me, that he had died for sin. And I knew I was a sinner. (laughs) I knew I messed up. And I knew Jesus died in my place and that he paid my price and that he was one day offers me the opportunity to know him, to trust him, have forgiveness. I knew that, but I had to make it personal. I had to trust him myself. And so one night, one Sunday evening, my dad and I knelt down and I talked through what I believed to God. Just simply told him what I believed, asked for his forgiveness Ask to know Jesus. And from that day on, it's not that all my problems were fixed and it's not that I never lied again, but my focus changed. Instead of trying to twist things for my advantage, I began to try and see how they would affect other people and try to help them. I began to focus on the truth rather than focus on a lie. And Jesus made a difference in my life and he hasn't stopped and he never will. And so I know that's, that's brief and that's short and that's just maybe part of my story, right? Maybe in a situation you can tell a little bit, maybe in other situations you can tell more, but we can share our faith story and it can impact people. Are you ready to share your story? We've got a couple of resources that can certainly help you. Blank screen. I'm not sure what happened there. Slides did not work out. Here's where my tech team said, clap really loud. I want to challenge you to... uh... (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, Check out 201. There's there's ways in there and templates for you to, to write out your story. Take 201 and 101, there's opportunities to think through before Christ. What do I believe about Christ? How can I respond to Christ and how did Christ change my life? And then share that with other people. We can share our life story and we can can make a difference. Because Jesus has put us in the opposition, in that moment, for a purpose. And I believe if we share our stories... We can impact our communities. And one person at a time, hundreds of people will be impacted and our communities will change because we won't get down and dirty in the argument and get into the fight, but they'll see us giving grace and mercy like Jesus. And God will introduce to other people Jesus through us. And that'll change the people around us. That'll impact the people around us. The the music team's going to come this morning. They're going to lead us with a final song. And as they do that, I'd just like to to talk with you for just a minute to pray and to think through this. Would you just close your eyes with me? We're going to talk to God. And and I want you to think about your, your situation. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. You've, you've never made that choice. 
Well, I believe all of us start like this blind man today. And we can't see truth. But with Jesus, we receive forgiveness, we can receive life, we can receive a future. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I want to challenge you this morning that he came for you. Just like this blind man. He cares about you. He's worked in your story from the very beginning. He has not done yet. His arms are wide open. Just talk to him and say, God, I do, I believe that you came for me, that you died for me, that you're offering me forgiveness. I've never accepted that yet, but I want your forgiveness and I want to know you. For those of us who are here and we've been following Jesus, have you shared your story lately? Have you impacted others by sharing Jesus? I want to ask you to do that this week. Grab a friend, grab someone who's safe, a Christian, and just go over your story to get prepared to share it. God, help us. Help us to stand for you. It's going to invite opposition, Lord. We need your strength and we need your help. But help us have the strength to prepare ahead, to think through, but then to stand up in the open door and to share your word, to share who you are, to share what you've done in our lives. God, you are such a good God. And you've done such good things in us. God, may you help us remember your goodness and then share your goodness for others that they might embrace you. In Jesus' name, amen.